It was a gloomy day on Saturday that turned into doom for the Huskers as Illinois handily defeated Nebraska 41-23. A lack of energy surged through the home sidelines that weekend as soul-searching began. Can a team get back its edge to prepare for Iowa? We'll break down the L from Saturday and what's ahead with special guest Stephen M. Sipple from the Lincoln Journal-Star. Sean Callahan will be along with Big Red Recruiting. All that and more coming up on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Severe. Welcome to NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. Nebraska failed to get two in a row, losing to Illinois. We're going to jump right into this. With me tonight is former Husker Jay Moore, who's going to pull the Band-Aid off as he is already in the huddle to break some of the tough defensive sequences down. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah, if you're uh, squeamish, get a, you know upset stomach, you might want to look away from a couple of these plays. But we got to look at some uh, bad football again uh, this evening. So first play I wanted to break down early in the game, you know, 7-7, Nebraska obviously got off to the bad start uh, with the turnover getting, you know, Illinois gets it inside the 10, seven points early. Nebraska's defense trying to fight. They just weren't there. The Nebraska defense looked like they played about 90 snaps a week before against Penn State. So this play here, what power play. So down, down, tackle, guard, or excuse me, tight end, uh, tackle. And they're going to pull the center and the guard here. It's actually a really impressive job by Illinois center to f- snap this thing, shotgun, and then pull. But as we look here, and I pause this. Nebraska's in really good shape, actually. Uh, Jojo Doma does a fairly good job setting the edge here. So Nebraska has two free hitters now. So you got two blockers, two free guys. You're thinking this play should be no gain, maybe knock them out of bounds for a couple-yard gain or whatever. They're in a good spot. But Luke Reimer's kind of slow to shoot his gun. Colin Miller now has to get over top. For some reason, I think his eyes looked here like he wanted to go make the play. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's not my, not my place. And now he's made one wrong step now in the Big Ten, and this is what happens. Bad angles, and you can't make the play. Good job by Cam Taylor Britt. He gets dinged here to come over top and make the play. Next run here, late in the game. Second and two, or sorry, uh, second quarter, not late in the game. Second and two, Nebraska's going to run a little nose tackle stunt. Don't know why it's second and two, but overall, actually, Jordan Riley's in a good spot. But... Football, and I said this, you got two guys now outside. And now you have a crease here for this running back to hit. And even Luke Reimers here is free to make this play. He doesn't, but he, Jordan Riley needs to be tighter up in here with this guard to make – really, he's, he's a free hitter. This should be a, a no-gain tackle for loss, but he loops too far outside. You have him and Garrett Nelson outside. Now you get this huge crease. But here we got a, another free hitter. Someone has to step up. you got to come up and make this play. Good linebackers. And Luke's done a pretty good job of erasing bad plays that we saw in the Northwestern game. Doesn't do it. And, again, it's about executing. When you're able to make a play, go make a play. And Nebraska did not do it. They looked tired. They were sloppy. Poor execution all day. Offense, defense, right down the line. Hey, Jay, if you were going to put a percentage on, say, for example, bad eyes or tape preparation, right, because there's a lot of stuff that they did on tape that they would have seen, what goes into those mistakes, you think? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's bad eyes. That plays a huge part in everything. But also, bad eyes comes from bad preparation. Yes. It's not giving your, your all in practice to make it the same speed. You might have got poor looks from the, from the scout team as well. Uh, if the energy was bad, as they said, 
Probably got some slow, sloppy looks from the scout team. So that affects your eyes, how you're used to seeing it. All of a sudden, boom. I mean, it could be a step quick, and you're just like, whoa, this is just a little out of sorts. So it's a little bit of everything. And they, they were, I mean, they played 91 snaps against Penn State. Right. Um, they, were, they were tired. You, it looked they were tired. And you just, it, it, I've been a part of defenses where you're not getting help from the offense, and they haven't got any help this year. Mm-hmm. It is frustrating. It gets old, but it, it shouldn't matter. But it looks like they're just, they just they needed they they needed the offense to go on about a ten to fifteen play drives in this right. type of game. They're not doing that for them. They, they're tired, and, and when you get tired, you get bad eyes, you get bad techniques. You don't tackle, you don't play physical, and that's what you saw for sixty minutes against Illinois. Your eyes take your feet where you need mm-hmm. to go. While Nebraska's looking for answers on how to address key issues, we'll try to answer your questions on the frustrating season so far. Reach out and connect with us. To help move the conversation along, just text us or email bigred at netnebraska.org. You can also reach out via social media. We're monitoring, of course, Facebook and Twitter for you. We'll take your comments and questions as well. Last week on our sideline survey, we asked you how many games you think Nebraska is going to win in the remaining schedule. A lot of positive people. 62% said four, 23% said three, 11% said two, only 2% said one, and 1% said zero be interesting to see if we took that again, how people would think about that. Of course, it doesn't include the Champions Week. Here's this all-new sideline survey for this week. What is bothering you the most about Nebraska? Is it the lack of offense right now, the defensive collapse against Illinois, Nebraska's problems with penalties, or is it the turnover bug that has again bitten Nebraska? Head over to our website now and vote, and head back each week for a brand new survey. What about for you? Is it what the offense hasn't been able to do, is it the defense? Well, obviously four turnovers again, or at least four fumbles again. That's got to be five turnovers and four fumbles. That's got to be frustrating. Yeah, for me, it's 100% the lack of offense. Um, when we were doing the show you know, before the first game of the season, I, I, I've been saying this. I fully expected this offense to go. Mm. You're in year three of this offense. You have the most experienced offensive line you've had probably since Frost. Now, I don't, you probably have to go back and look at his, the, his year one. His offense was fairly successful. And you had, you know, Farmer and, and some of those guys. But and it wasn't experience as this. You right. go all the way back to 2010 yes. to find a uh, Thank you. line of six. Right. So you have that. You have a three-year court starter in Adrian Martinez. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a starting running back come back in Dedrick Mills who, who showed the, the, the capabilities to really get going once he was the man. You know, he, once he was able to get those, you saw him play well against Iowa last year, and he was the only running back. Something okay. The, the wide receiver position was a little was a little suspect. You know, you're, but you have Wandell, maybe some of these young guys can step up. But the offensive line has regressed. The quarterback issue is obviously a we don't know right. where this is going. Uh, play calling, wide you know the in, the inconsistency at the wide receiver position. It's the wide the, the offense to me is is the most puzzling, bizarre. Thing so far in, in, in 2020. And I think the wide receiver thing is huge because all quarterbacks and wide receivers can do is build chemistry by playing together, by practicing. You don't know from week to week who the top three wide receivers are. You know Wandale. You know that. Sure. But sometimes he's in the backfield playing running back. You don't know who the other guy is. You know, Xavier Betts is out there at one point. Levi Falk is out there at one point. You know, Wyatt Lever's out. You never know who's going to be Mark out Fleming, there. Fleming. Yeah, how are they going to build chemistry, right? right? The frustrating thing is, too, is finding the guys is these – they've had more time to practice and meet and do things than any other year. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you don't have spring ball, but these guys weren't going to be here in the spring anyways. But you've had more time. You had camp that started, mm-hmm. season gets canceled, but you still had your 12-hour rules, guys were meeting. You'd think they'd do something productive. And then once you get going and you have some more time and you have a game canceled, they've had more time to get things figured out, right. 
to understand their roles, to get timing, and you still aren't able to do that in game four mm-hmm. against Illinois, who, I mean, not, let's be honest, I mean, they looked really good on Saturday. We made them look a lot better. Not a good football team. Right. And well, they came in with horrible stats. Right, they were They terrible. gave up some of the most uh, yards passing and rushing, and Nebraska couldn't get done what they needed to yeah. get done on it's, offense. I'm, yeah, there's, there's a lot of excuses, and it just doesn't add up. I mean, this team has to prepare better. I mean, there's, right. you, don't, you don't put that product on the field with having a good week of practice. It doesn't happen. They have to somehow figure out how to prepare better Monday through Thursday, and that starts top. That starts yeah. with Scott Frost on down because he is responsible to get these guys ready. Because you're 19, 20, 20-year-old kids, you give them an inch, they're going to take a foot, yes. right? Mm-hmm. they got to get ready to play and right. do it. It just doesn't happen on Saturday. They thought they could roll out their helmets in Illinois and get it done. Right. That could happen in the Big Ten. All right, let's go to the highlights. As much <laughs> as we don't want to, we'll roll the tape from the game on Saturday. It was really a gloomy day, overcast. Obviously, no fans or very few fans that were in the stands. It got started off with the first play of the game, which looks like a forward pass to almost anyone. It looks like an illegal forward pass because Luke McCaffrey's over the line of scrimmage, and you can see by the hash marks that it's forward. But for whatever reason, the officials didn't agree. Scott Frost didn't call a timeout. Then you have this play. Right. An obvious fumble. <laughs> I mean, the ball advances six yards. It just The Big Ten refereeing this year has been bad, and it just continues to show how they're struggling this year. And it just, what a bizarre start. Yeah. Chase Brown gets a touchdown there after he has a pretty big game. Uh, overall, um, you know, the thing about the officials, though, they're also on Zoom and doing a lot of things trying to prep. So that may be a bit part. Luke McCaffrey did have a big day running the ball, which is a concern. He had 20 rushes in the first half. And as Sean Callahan asked Coach Frost, do you want to run it this much? And he's, he kind of giggled and said no. There's Luke McCaffrey getting in with a great run. 12-play, 71-yard drive to make it 7-7. Brandon Peters, at one point, I heard someone say this, looked like Joe Montana <laughs> at some points. Um, on this day because of how efficient he was. And here's the play you showed. Yeah, just got to – Colin Miller's got to get over top. That's it. Got to be quicker, bad eyes. Get over top, make that play for a three, four-yard gain and, and move on. That was a 35-yard rush, and then it comes back where another chance to make a tackle on Brown, and he gets in. That makes it 14-7. Nine plays, 75-yard drive. That time for Illinois to get up 14-7. But then Luke McCaffrey comes back, and he has a couple really good running plays, which is, again – this is not the way over the long haul they're going to win games. They're going to have to be able to throw the ball. Snaps, again, were a problem. This is a fourth down, so in the end, it was like a mini punt. He did what he could do. They actually gained some yardage on it, but, again, this goes back to the snapping and snapping issues. And you mentioned that center that pulled. A lot of times when Cam Jurgens has the pull, that happens with the snaps. Uh, Brandon Peters comes back again. We mentioned him looking a little bit like Joe Montana. Uh, makes a really good throw here. Amata Bebe had a really good game against Nebraska. He is so hard to guard. And here he is again. Um, Boodle's in good spot. Little push off. Nice, but it was it was a good job of not really being aggressive with yeah. it. Just holding that hand out there enough. It's subtle, but it's a 28-yard touchdown. 21-7. Illinois is up. Back comes Nebraska. Nice pass here to Travis Vokalek against his body. Uh, Good pass by uh, Luke McCaffrey. And then this is one of the better ones. And Oliver Martin, who we hadn't had a chance to talk about because he just got qualified, a guy who was at Iowa, makes a nice catch and actually had a a nice little game. Had to settle again for a field goal. Connor Cup kicks a uh, 30-yard field goal. Now, Nebraska scored but had a holding penalty on the touchdown run by Marvin Scott. That came back at that point. Uh, And here we go again with with, uh, a play that you showed earlier. Yeah, it's a a strange call for a little nose tackle stunt, uh, NT, and I don't – 
listen, I mean, just make the play. Make it's also the, play the second play those two guys have been in the game. Mm-hmm. Those people on the stunt. Amata Bebe with another really good catch down to the one-yard line. And Mike Epstein, who had been hurt a lot the last couple of years, he gets to run for the touchdown. That was pretty much his drive. Four plays, 89 yards on that drive. Back comes Luke McCaffrey, one of his better runs of the day, 18-yard run, being physical all the way to the end of it. Then he comes back and makes this pass to Wanda Robinson. This is an example of open wide receivers down the field, but for whatever reason, Luke McCaffrey couldn't pull the trigger. That was another good example there. Uh, And then here you go. That pass has got to be to the sideline and on a a line. He throws it inside and lobs it. It gets intercepted. Um, At that point, that's when I thought maybe Scott Frost would pull Luke McCaffrey. Yeah, go to Adrian Martinez. Yeah, let cover two safety. He's just sitting right there, and you got to put that thing on the line. And there. pre-snap, you know that. You know he's over there, and there's mm-hmm. nothing that's going to occupy him. Luke McCaffrey now in the second half comes out running. Uh, good drive uh, to get started here. 16-yard run. Then he comes back. This might be the run of the day. Wando Robinson breaking tackles. Reminded me a little bit of Amir Abdullah. Uh, even ran over his own man right there uh, to get down to the one-yard line. Uh, and I know it made Nebraska fans happy to see down at the goal line Luke McCaffrey under center and scoring a second time after coming out in the shotgun and moving down under center. But I know they're pretty excited about this. This is a touchdown, making it 31-17 to at this point. Six play, 75-yard drive, kind of to start the second half there. Brandon Peters, solid all day long. Another good throw to Barker here, getting the first down in the middle. He is a load, that tight end. A big boy. Yeah, I wouldn't want to have to hit him. He is a, he's a big fella, number 87. Another good throw across the middle. Uh, again, Brandon Peters, really good day overall. Ten plays, 75 yards, ends right there. With the touchdown, he sneaks it in. And at this point at 38-17, you know, the only chance that Nebraska has is to maybe create some turnovers. The opposite thing happens. Wanda Robinson on a good run. This is what Illinois does. They're phenomenal. They're, there was about three other plays earlier in this game. I thought, ooh, they're close to getting that ball out. And they finally did. They, they are ball hawks in that secondary get that thing out. Total of four fumbles uh, for Nebraska there. They lost two of them and of course had the three interceptions as well. Here is one of them, Luke McCaffrey trying to make a play, gets sacked here. Uh, really had nothing downfield on that play, but then comes back here again trying to make a play and throwing up to Wando Robinson who tries to go up and gets it. It gets intercepted by Jake Hansen, one of the best linebackers in all the Big Ten. Adrian Martinez then comes in for this last drive and make some plays. This is what he does. He makes plays when he comes in the game, has a lot of success against Illinois. This is a great catch by Wanda Robinson. Mm-hmm. It is. It's phenomenal. Takes the shot around four different guys, makes the catch. But puts it up there where, frankly, only Wandell could catch it. Exactly. That's a really good point. And then this throw here, this is what Adrian Martinez does, right? Off schedule, sidearm. I think it was going to Betts, <laughs> but it ends up getting intercepted by his own guy. A touchdown, Levi Falk. They go for two. They make it. But again, a holding penalty. or no, uh, offensive interference. They call it back. It ends up 41-23. Uh, here are your final stats. You see that Nebraska actually wasn't poor in the game, but you can't give up 490 yards to Illinois. No. That's just impossible. That, that's something that can't happen. And then you see the points off the turnovers, which is big as well. Again, Nebraska with seven more penalties, leading to another loss. Instead of going to 2-2, two and two, now 1-2. And, and Illinois is very fortunate. They had four fumbles now that they fell right back on. They fell on all of the them. The kickoff, they had the fumble on. Yep. It's like every fumble they had right back and through the lap. Yeah, that's what they're good at. They're good at that. Our players of the game, Wando Robinson, we saw some of the big plays he made there. He really is the one guy you can count on for Nebraska. Totally. It's, he's, he's the man, and that's why you put him in the backfield to get rocking and rolling, get, get, your, get your offense going, and he is, he's dynamic. He can do everything. 
<laughs> you're just trying to get some sort of spark, and you can provide just enough for this offense. But they need they need about three more Wandells to <laughs> to get off the snide so far. And they've got those young guys. They haven't yet been able to get on the field consistently. Like a Marcus Fleming has one big game, then you don't see him. Xavier Best has a couple big plays, then you don't see him. So other guys have to step up. And then the other one, the defensive side, Will Honus, Jay Foreman, who's a Nebraska Hall of Famer, said this is why they brought this guy from junior college. His best game, he thought, of his career so yeah, far. Yeah, you saw him on the sack, try to get a spark on a third down stop. Playing physical, playing faster. Mm-hmm. You know, this week, uh, obviously really glad Colin Miller is, is healthy and, and nothing too severe came out of that. But you know, Will Holmes and Luke Reimer and see what they can do. And, and Hopefully Luke's healthy. And he is. I know he had, he had that, uh, ankle. that ankle issue. But Will is, you know, for, for being banged up and seeing the game like Luke Reimer had against Northwestern, you're like, whoa. Will Honus is, you know, he's, he stepped up and, and provided a spark for that defense, even though it obviously was not near enough. Time to bring in Sean Callahan and get his perspective. Sean, you have the unique ability, of course, to go to your message board and read what fans are thinking. What Obviously, the reaction wasn't good, but what was it like after this Illinois game? Yeah, I don't know if that's a unique ability, but uh, <laughs> some days it's, it's a tough job. But, um, yeah, the emotion. I mean, Michael, there's been a lot of losses for Nebraska football since 2002, and you and I have been around each other for a lot of them over the years. And I think this one, it felt different in the sense that Year three of Scott Frost, this is not supposed to happen. I mean, that they were supposed to be on, be beyond a game like this where on paper you know that Nebraska should win this game. They were close to a 17-point favorite at kickoff. And to not only lose but get beat in all three phases, um, you know, it, it caused kind of a fan meltdown. And I think there's a sense of panic. Is this going to work? Um, a fear of what road this is all heading down. Um, and it's amazing. Just one game did this. You know, obviously the week before, you're like, all right, we got the Penn State win, and now all of a sudden they beat Illinois. They could be 2-2 two and two in this season, you know, with a loss to number 8 Northwestern. By the way, they're 8 in the first college football playoff poll, and Ohio State's 4. You're like, you know what? We can live with 2-2 two and two right now because the two losses are to the number 8, number 4 team in the nation. But this one game really kind of set off a lot. Yeah, Northwestern's going to be in the Big Ten title game. Now, de facto, they already beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin had their game canceled, so they're not going to have enough games to be able to qualify. Sean, in terms of, you said the three phases, really you could say four because it really felt like they got outcoached as well by Illinois. Yeah, the, 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 the early portions of that game set the tone. Um, I asked Matt Lubick today, what is just the line of communication on that opening play? I mean, you have a better view of it, obviously, than Scott in that booth. You know, can you say, look, Scott, I don't care what they're saying. we got to call a timeout here. We have to get this reviewed. Call the timeout. Um, You know, what's the line of communication? Because everybody could see that pass went forward. It was beyond the line of scrimmage, which should have been a penalty, but it was still a forward pass. And, you know, you mentioned the the fumble by Peters. And then the third and one, the game was 7-7, to and there was a clear third and one stuff that Nebraska got there, and they automatically moved that forward. A, A review would have put that into a fourth and one. Now, obviously, Illinois might have went for that fourth down, uh, but there were so many of those little moments. And Nebraska football right now, as we know, is not good enough to sometimes overcome the little things. And some of those things end up being huge in the big picture of a game when you're a team that's still trying to learn how to win. And now you get Iowa, which is probably the most efficient team offensively and defensively combined in the Big Ten. Yeah, they're a team that's gotten better each and every week in typical Iowa. I mean, we're used to seeing them early on struggle to beat someone like Northern Iowa, then they kind of get their act together. Well, early on they struggled against Purdue 
and Northwestern. That Purdue loss early really surprised me because that was the game Jeff Brom was out. Mm -hmm. It was Bob Diaco's first game as a defensive coordinator there. That You would have thought Iowa would have an upper hand there, but you know, give them credit. They figured things out. They're running the ball as well as anybody in the Big Ten right now. Their defense is playing typical Iowa defense. I do like, though, Nebraska has a handle on Iowa. They know what they're going to see. Eric Shenander played for Kirk Ferentz, he understands their scheme, what they do on offense. And obviously, Adrian Martinez, if he is the starter, this would be his third start against Iowa. So you would hope Nebraska at least would have a a handle on what they're going to see this week, and nothing's going to really catch them by surprise. We can ask this question over and over. Um, I know Stephen Msippa, who we'll have on in a minute, asked the question, but who do you think starts a quarterback against Iowa for Nebraska? I think Scott Frost has all but said, in so many ways, Adrian Martinez is going to start. I I thought – Luke is the future, but I like the way Adrian's playing with a chip on his shoulder. That was a nice way of saying, Luke, we're going to sit you down and we're going to go back to Adrian. And um, I, I think when he got in the game there in the fourth quarter, you're like, wait a minute, did we maybe overreact here a little bit? <laughs> Northwestern, that 21-13 loss, maybe wasn't as bad as we thought. And I think that Penn State game, there were some good things that Luke McCaffrey did, but the nature of that game didn't really allow us to get a full evaluation of Luke McCaffrey. There wasn't a lot of high-pressure snap situations when you get up 27-6. to You can kind of just manage that thing to get out of there, and that's what Nebraska did. And I felt like the Illinois game, we finally saw Luke McCaffrey in really high-pressure situations when things unraveled. And, you know, obviously he was 0-4 on Four passes that traveled 20 yards or further. Uh, two of those were interceptions. So he has not thrown the ball, not seeing things down the field very well. And I think that was a major red flag to everyone on Saturday. Yeah, they needed a quarterback, not just an athlete at quarterback in that game. Thank you, Sean. We'll check back in later. Next up on the show, though, we're joined by the esteemed Stephen M. Sipple, the Lincoln Journal star, as we go to break photos from the past Saturday's game against Illinois with photos from Hale Varsity. We're back soon. We know that's not how we should have played last week. Um, so we just came in knowing we got We have something to prove coming into this week. We got to practice the way we should. Everybody has to execute the way we should be. Um, at keeping everybody accountable with every little thing in practice now, all the details. Our guys have responded this week. Um, energy's way better. I think they're excited to play Iowa. Iowa's a really good team. Uh, it's going to be a black and blue game like it always is against those guys they're going to make you earn it we're trying to simplify and that not just in the run game but also in the passing game and when you simplify it's like okay what do you do really good how do we improve on that and 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 not practice too many different things um because the more you try to do a lot of things it takes away from the stuff you're really good at you you can't blame you can't blame the players saying we don't have the right players that's not an excuse Um, we have the right players we have good players we have good kids um, we've got to get them more ready to play football, and we've got to find a way to help them be better at their jobs, help them succeed on the field. Uh, so the progress is evident when you're inside these walls, um, but it's got to show up on the field. And uh, we're playing three games uh, against three good opponents. We're going to take our swing. Uh, there's no doubt that the improvements are being made. It's got to show up on the football field, and we've got to catch some momentum. Let's take a quick look around to see the best from this past week on social media. It was rough out there, 
But there are some good ones. First up, a conversation between two former Huskers. Jeremiah Searles asked if Nebraska can put the red jerseys on at halftime, which Zach Potter comes back and replies, Mighty Duck style. I'm told I'm supposed to go quack, quack, <laughs> quack. Um, deep Mighty Ducks reference. I apologize. I didn't see the movie. Gordon That's Bombay good. would be proud. Yeah, I understand it's pretty him. funny. Good. I should see that one. And the best tweet came from Colin Miller after the game. Of course, was carted off. Just such an emotional moment on the field um, to tell everybody that he was grateful for all the prayers following that very scary scene that happened on the field at Memorial Stadium. We're pleased now to be joined by, as I said before, the esteemed Stephen M. Sipple from the Lincoln Journal Star. Sip, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Michael. How are you guys doing this tonight? We're doing pretty well, Sip. Um, you have seen over the last few years a lot of tough losses for this team. Would you say this one surprised you? more than most of those by the way Nebraska played against Illinois? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it definitely surprised me. I didn't – I mean, if if I would go back and listen to my conversations with people and listen to what I said on, you know, you know all the radio shows and stuff, I was, I was definitely not, not being respectful toward Illinois. I mean, I just – my whole mindset going into this game, and even as a columnist, I was thinking about this. Maybe my column should be, um, you know, did they look ready for Iowa? You know, this is this game was about getting ready for Iowa. This was about getting its downhill running game going into Iowa City, getting running backs going, um, you know, playing good run defense. Um you know, evaluate all those things in the context of this Iowa game. And no, I guess I didn't really think about the possibility of Illinois coming in and winning and especially winning convincingly and making it look easy. That is the, that was what really startled me, Michael, as the game unfolded, how easily, how easily Illinois was beating Nebraska, beating them at the line of scrimmage. And I thought, I thought that their offensive coordinator really did a number on Nebraska's defensive coaches. I mean, they, they moved the, they were, well, I mean, they were 11 for 17 on third down. A lot of those were short yardage, third downs. They just did a really good job. Sip, sticking with the surprising theme and, and there's a lot of things that have been surprising in 2020, but my, Michael asked me earlier in the show, I said, what's been so surprising so far out of this team through four games? And I said, it's been the offensive issues. Uh, would you agree with, with my statement, or do you have something else that's been rather startling and, and surprising to you through four games of 2020 in this Nebraska season? Yeah, Jay. I mean, the, the thing I thought going into the season, I wrote it and I talked about it a lot, was I thought that if you were going to point to two strengths on this team, you would say – the offensive line probably number one, and then the quarterback position, however that shook out, would be number two. Um, hasn't been the case. I mean, the offensive line has – its I mean, it hasn't been really that good since the, the first half of the Ohio State game. It's been okay at times, but it struggled to a degree I never expected. And the quarterback position is in flux. I mean, it, it's – I don't – so, so yeah, I mean, those – those two areas really, really are surprising. And I'd say, I mean, I didn't write this, but now that we're talking about it, I, I thought they'd get a lot more at the running back position. I know, you know, Dedrick was banged up mm-hmm. against Penn State and didn't play the other day. 
but I thought they'd be getting, I think they're, well, I know what their running backs are averaging guys. They're averaging 3.8 yards a carry. And that's just not good enough. That's not good enough. I mean, you're not going to win at a high level in the big 10 with that happening at your running back position. So if we look back at 2018, when this offense was rolling under Adrian Martinez, of course he had Stanley Morgan, JD Spielman was playing, he was healthy and Divina Zigbo was really good that year, especially towards the end. How much do you think this is Adrian Martinez or the quarterback position? How much is it just not having the skill guys around they had in 2018? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sort of a can of worms discussion I've gotten into and people really, really have a strong opinions on it. I, I mean, I thought <laughs> I have a real strong opinion on it. I mean, I think that Adrian took a lot of heat um, when, in fact, he just didn't have much help. And I just always wonder how much that's affected him. Um Last year, this year, there's just not enough to take pressure off that position. And it's really become evident this year, right? I mean, they're running the, the quarterback so much. Um, McCaffrey ran the ball 26 times from the quarterback position, which is an excessive amount. And it's happening because there's just not much else besides the quarterback lead play that they can rely on. Um, and that, I, I mean, what I've said all along, I'd never back down on. And that is Scott puts a lot of stress on his quarterback mm-hmm. and the stress becomes even greater when they don't have much around him and they don't have much right now. I mean, people can bite back on that all they want. There's not, there's just not that much there right now, especially with Diedrich Mills out. Now, hopefully he'll be back against Iowa. Steve Sipple joining us from Lincoln Journal star, the columnist there uh, on Facebook, Ryan Ball asked the question about the adjustments in the second half and Sip, it's not even just the second half. I went back and I charted the first drives in each of these games and then the next two drives. And it's a okay. huge drop-off even in those next two drives in games. Obviously, the script is working well for the first drive. How did they get this turned around to actually play an entire game? Because they haven't played an entire game maybe since Maryland of last year. Right. There's a lot that goes into that conversation. Um, you know, Michael and in, in Jay, you guys know that if, if, if you're a great team, you don't have to be constantly adjusting all the time because you're able to impose your will. Um, and if you're imposing your will, that doesn't, that doesn't mean – I mean, that, that, what that means is you probably aren't having to make a lot of adjustments. Obviously, there's always adjustments that are going on, but it's not as significant an issue for a team like Alabama – it wasn't a significant issue for a team like as significant an issue for a team like Nebraska in the mid nineties. Although I've heard Tom, I've heard Tom tell, tell stories about having a vet. Now this probably gets to your question, Michael Osborne. I've talked to him about it many times that he had that veteran staff and a very veteran staff that was together for a long time. And anytime something would come up, Somebody had seen it, and probably multiple guys on the defensive staff, for instance, had seen it. And it didn't require a lot of talk. Um, it didn't require a lot of stress and anxiety because because they've seen they'd seen about everything they could see. So I don't know if you could say that with this staff that's still pretty young and really young in this league. Think about what I'm saying about Osborne's staff. Those guys were in the same league for years and years and years. 
So it's, it is a different situation now, and, and that has to be taken into account. Kind of a tough question, Sip. Robert emails the show and says, Bob Stoops took two years to win a championship in Oklahoma. Uh, Urban Meyer took two years to win it at Florida. Nick Saban, obviously what he did at Alabama. How long do you think, looking ahead, it's going to take Scott Frost to just have a winning record in the Big Ten? Well, it's going to, I mean, it could take a while. I don't know. I mean, who knows exactly, but I mean, those guys didn't walk into situations that are, that were as rough as Nebraska. And I'm not going to put it all on Riley. I mean, Nebraska's spiral has been occurring for years and years. I mean, since the early two thousands to a certain degree anyway, and it's the culmination of a lot of coaching changes, a lot of style changes, a lot of administrative changes and Scott. So now it's, it's really, really, he's being asked to do a very difficult job and that is a total rebuild. And I don't know, I guess we thought when he came in, we were whipped into quite a frenzy of excitement and we thought it would go much better. So now it's a little confusing if I, you know, if I would have, I always think about it this way. If when think back to that, I think it was, what was it? Early December of 2017. Yeah, it was, I think it was December 3rd, the day that it was announced the, his hire, his hiring. If I would have said to you on big red wrap up, you know, we got to be patient. I could see a record like, you know, in his first 30 games, maybe he wins 10, you know, people would have thought you were crazy. You know, I mean, nobody would have, nobody saw this coming. And I would say that, that on that list would be Scott Frost. He didn't see this coming. Yeah, I think, Sip, the, the most frustrating thing is, you know, you, you go back to Callahan, his third year, went to the Big 12 title game. Second year, same thing happened with Bo Pelini. And even Mike Riley in his second year, remember, they were ranked eighth in the country playing Wisconsin at 7-0. and And so I think people expect a little bit of positive regression, as they say in the gambling world, and we – we're not getting any of that. So some, something's <laughs> no. really missing. Yeah, it, there is. I mean, and like I said, the only thing, I mean, I do, I don't like to pin it on Mike Riley. I, and, I, and I don't, I'm not doing that only to say you have to remember what was going on at the very end of that era, of the Riley era. It's, it's unfair not to mention it in this conversation. They were getting waylaid in the last season. Um, they weren't just losing games. They were getting blown out regularly in those last six games. And it was, it was incredible. I mean, it was apocalyptic for the program. It had never been battered around that consistently. So I, I, I do think that is something to consider. Uh, but having said that, this is year three. I mean, you would have expected more um, at this point. And, and I don't mind saying it because I, I guarantee you Scott Frost would say it. Last three years, Nebraska's played Iowa. Iowa's come into the game not running the ball well, under four yards a carry. This year, though, they're five yards a carry. How does Nebraska slow down this run game, which is obviously, I think you agree, the only way they win this game is to stop Iowa's running game or at least slow it down? 
Yeah. Um, one thing you can say, one thing you can say for sure is they'll get a chance to slow it down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because because I was going to come at them hard. Jojo Jojo Doman talked about that um, on Zoom yesterday, mm-hmm. and he's right. He know they know what's coming, and that's the thing. You know what I was saying earlier about adjustments. I was not going to do anything crazy, right, Michael? Inside zone, outside zone, mm-hmm. a lot of that. That's stretch. what they do. They stretch, they stretch, they stretch your left, they stretch your right. Running back looks for a crease and sticks his foot in the dirt and goes. And, and you know, it's an incumbent on your lineman to get off blocks and linebackers, you know, linebackers got to make a lot of plays. And, you know, you mentioned Colin Miller. You know, that hasn't been talked about that much. I mean, it's – I guess the main thing is he's okay. Yeah. The next part of that conversation is he's a big loss and he's a big physical linebacker, pretty big. I mean, he's big by Nebraska standards right now. He's bigger than the guy who's replaced in Brimer by quite a bit. So that's a big, that's a big, uh, that injury looms pretty large in this game. It's kind of, this is a big game for home. I mean, you almost go to Honus and say, you know, you're going to have to make 12 tackles in this game plus 12 plus tackles. So yeah, it's, I was going to test Nebraska's manhood for sure. And if Luke can't go with his ankle, that would mean Garrett Snodgrass having to go, or maybe they move Heinrich back inside. It's something like that. Yeah, Heinrich might move yeah. back, yeah. Sip, let me ask you this last question. Um, who starts a quarterback for Nebraska? Well, I heard you guys talking about it, and Sean, I think Sean was on the right track. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I don't know, I and mean, I don't claim to have any inside knowledge to that in that regard, but I, it looks like Adrian would be the, the best choice. Um, and I don't say that lightly. It's not any, I, I don't think these, this is an easy situation, but it's a, it's a big physical defense and Luke, I don't know. I mean, he did, Luke did play a big physical front front seven against Penn state and held up pretty well. I just feel like this might be a game for a, vet, a more veteran quarterback who's seen a lot more. So I expect it to be Adrian. Sip, we appreciate it. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks a lot, back Sip. Back at you. We'll talk to you right, soon you down later. the road. Uh, up next, Sean is back. We're going to talk some recruiting. But first, another look from that gloomy Saturday at Memorial Stadium, courtesy of Hale Varsity. Stay with us. Be sure to vote on this week's sideline survey question. What's bothering you the most about Nebraska? Your current numbers, lack of offense, 79% of the folks. Defensive collapse, 10%. Penalties, 6%. And turnovers, which may be the worst part of this, at 5%. Make sure you head over to the wrap-up website and cast your vote. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Time to talk to Sean Callahan now. Sean, if, if anything is good about this year, it's been the recruiting, right? And we can honestly look at this class and say that that's some positivity. Yeah, it's a solid down-the-middle class. I mean, they were able to really lock in on top local talent. Uh, Thomas Fedoni, uh, guys like Teddy Prochaska at Elkhorn South. I mean, they, they were able to lock in on some key linchpin guys uh, to build this class. As of today, it still remains around a top-20 class. Um, still a lot to go. Um, but they've done the work, and they've done it, Michael, without being able to do 
you know, the thing that helps them the most in recruiting, and that's bring recruits to spring games, bring recruits to Friday night light camps, and most importantly, home games. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I don't know if there's ever been a more challenging year to recruit at Nebraska than 2020 because of their lack of access uh, to four- and five-star type kids in the area. Um, you know, they, they have to be creative, and luckily it's been a very strong year locally that they've been able to cash in on that. Omaha West Side wins the Class A title. Avante Dickerson, Kobe Bretz, Cade Haberman, you can put him in there as well, and Cole Payton, our in-state recruit. All four of those guys, I think, in years past, would be going to Nebraska. Why is Cole Payton not going to Nebraska? Yeah, you know, Nebraska Michaels made seven offers in the state this year, and I think after you watch that game, there's a lot of people that said, well, this guy probably should be the eighth. Um, But, you know, Nebraska offered a quarterback very early in-state. Henry Carberg, uh, Boston College had offered him, too, and you know, the, I think when we talked about this on my radio show, um, and one of the things is they didn't get a great evaluation on Cole Payton. They mm. didn't have him in a camp. They didn't get to go see him in person in the spring. Um, you know, just that live evaluation that you need uh, to possibly offer a quarterback. And things moved quickly. Quarterbacks go off the board fast. And Cole Payton really didn't have an offer. The North Dakota State. And I think everybody really trusts their valuation, came in, yeah. and they, they offered him. And boom, he committed right away. So you have to credit him. He recognized North Dakota State's going to have their third quarterback drafted really in the last, what, five, six, seven years when you go back to Carson Witts, Easton Stick, and, and, and the guy they have right now. Um, so I think he recognizes a great opportunity. And, man, he put on a show, Michael, in this championship yeah. game, carried his team on the back. The play before halftime won the game for them. Yeah. That's a sack. He breaks the tackle and throws a touchdown pass in the back of the end zone. And then they score on their first possession out of the locker room. It was 28-14 before you could blink your eyes. I'll tell you, Sean, if they just would have asked other coaches in the Class A, I think they would have said maybe Cole Payton would be somebody to offer. Yeah. It's, Based on the ones I've talked to. Oh. It, it's, um, it, it's one of those things, I think, when you look at Harburg, you see the height, the arm talent, the athletic ability, and that you could maybe develop him. But – you know, Peyton also, when I look at him, I see a guy, he reminds you of like a Joe Showboard at Wisconsin. One of those, you know, oh. you always watch Wisconsin and they always have that ex-high school state champion quarterback that right. turns into like an all-Big Ten outside linebacker. Cole Peyton could easily be a high-level outside linebacker when you look at his athletic ability and, and what he does. In fact, he played a lot of outside linebacker in that state championship yep. game. The whole playoffs he was playing outside linebacker and played pretty well. Sean, while we're talking about high school football, let's take a look back at the NSA final championships. It all happened on Friday night. There were some great games in there, uh, great talent as well, Sean. Let's start with C2. We kicked off the day with a great game. How big of an upset was this, Sean? You know, a lot of people that would see Ord said, you know, they're more like a C1 team playing C2, their, their roster and their talent level. Um, I, I just think they, they don't get a lot of notoriety. Oakland Craig. Uh, and Fremont Bergen were the two teams everybody talked about all year. Um, but I think people that saw Ord immediately knew that that was a team to be reckoned with. They had been in the finals as a C1 team just recently. So it's a program that's come on as of late and done some good things and fell down the C2. And, you know, they went into Fremont and, and, and won that game. So that And they won it convincingly. Yeah, Ord wins 28-7. to uh, BDS may be the biggest powerhouse in the state because they seem to beat everybody they play uh how good are they how good have they been John? you know these consolidations michael i mean it's hard to keep track of who the eight-man teams are because right. every year or two you see these towns get together but yeah they they ran through 
the gauntlet and you know to, to go through it the way they did, especially at eight man. I mean, injuries and the depth, you know, things can turn quickly at that level, and, and they made it look pretty easy all year. BDS won that one 36 to 28 over Sand Hills Deadford. And then you have D1, uh, Dundee County Stratton gets the big win over Burwell. Yeah, 42-36 in the D1 game. And I'll tell you, in the D, you usually see one private school in these finals, Michael, and it was all four public schools this year in, in the, in the eight-man finals and you know some different teams down there that we haven't seen before. So uh, impressive victory there uh, for Dundee County Stratton. And then in C1, I know a lot of people predicted this before the game, Pierce knocks off Adam Central. What kind of game was that? You know, a year ago, a lot of people thought Pierce was going to beat Wahoo, and they were handled pretty soundly in that game in Memorial Stadium. Uh, Pierce came back strong all year. Um, You know, St. Paul was a huge, huge uh, win. Adam Central was a team that was right there as well. There were about three or four teams in C1, and Pierce had been just the most consistent all year. And you could sense they really wanted uh, to, to, to get back after last year. They got a young tight end, Coach Bramer's son, just a sophomore. Mm. Keep your eyes on him. He's a good-looking 6'4 tight end. We saw him at the Steve Warren camp earlier in the summer. And, you know, the state's put out a lot of tight ends lately, and he might be a guy at Pierce to watch in the future. I had a chance to call the Class B game. Uh, Elkhorn, of course, the very proud graduate sitting next to me from Elkhorn High School. Fear the deer, baby. 42-19. This game was 13-13 at half. Sean, nine total plays for Elkhorn in the first half. Aurora had 42, but once Elkhorn got going, they have a lot of talent. Yeah, you know, they, they were built for a pandemic season in Class B. They had the most depth. Um, when, when you look at the way their roster is made up, you mentioned this off-air, Michael, they lost over 50 players yep. that were sophomores and juniors um, when the borders split. But they got to keep what was uh, essentially a Class A senior class of players. Yep. And that senior class, and I said it from the beginning of the year, that was going to be what brought them over the top. Norris, you know, man for man, might have had as much talent as anybody, but they had injuries. And once Norris got hurt, uh, they fell off pretty quickly. They beat Elkhorn week one of the yep. season. Elkhorn just had the depth, the strength. They got the coach. Um, they've got multiple Division One athletes, maybe not all football players, but that roster was loaded with kids that were just great athletes. And in Class B, a lot of times that's what it takes. Yeah, if Drew Crystal didn't want to be a millionaire baseball player, he could be a pretty good outside linebacker or wide receiver at the next level. And Aiden Young is going to be a fun Duck R guy at Nebraska. And then Class A, West Side. I kind of thought they had too much speed, especially in the secondary, but we mentioned it. Cole Payton, great game against Elkhorn South. Yeah, give Elkhorn South credit. I mean, they played very tough, but the difference was they didn't have that guy that could carry them on the back and and, and win the game for them. And Westside had a few of those guys, and Bellevue West had Keegan Johnson if they would have got there. I think Elkhorn South had a lot of really good football players on their team, a lot of good linemen, but they really lacked that running back or receiver or quarterback that could take over the game like we're seeing right here. And that ultimately was the difference because Elkhorn South had a lot of good players, really like the young sophomore Maverick Noonan. Yes. Um, He's going to be a guy to watch in the future, the son of Danny Noonan, former Husker and first-round NFL draft picks. So, uh, you know, lots to like about Elkhorn South in the future. I know they had a very good freshman season as well, so they're going to be around for a while. But Westside was the team. I think wire to wire, most people thought they were the best team top to bottom. Bellevue West had a lot of talent, um, but I, I saw them both in person, 
And I always thought Westside had an edge, even if they would have played. And too bad we didn't get to see that game. Uh, but Westside got it done this year in a very, very tough season. I agree with you. Congratulations to all those teams that won championships and to the NSAA for this to be completed. Because many of us didn't think the season would even get completed. Let's talk Iowa now, Jay. Deep passes, getting the ball down the field past 15 yards. Nebraska hasn't been able to do that. They're going to get big plays against Iowa. I think that's the best chance. How do they do that? How do they, how do they compensate for the lack of not being able to get the ball down the field? Well, I think you've got to start playing Adrian Martinez. That's, 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 that's where it's going to start first. I think Luke McCaffrey experiment is done. Um, I think it needs to be done. I think it, I was all for it. Give a spark, see what's going. But listen, it's, Luke is a phenomenal athlete. He's, a, he's tough as nails. Get him involved some way. But if you want to try to stretch the field and make that defense respect that, that deep throw that we saw Luke miss with Xavier Betts or whoever it is, you've got to get a guy who can actually throw the ball and, and do it. And that's what Adrian, that's what Adrian does. And it's, you know what, it's, it's, and it's sitting Adrian, getting him in there. It's like, hey, you're a guy this week. Put in the extra work. Get that timing back. I mean, getting preparing better, preparing the right way. Um, and that just starts with being, getting Adrian under center or, or getting that snap from shotgun. That's, that's where it's going to start to uh, finally execute in those deep throws. Sure, I know it's not the same, but remember Oklahoma benched their starting quarterback earlier in the year, and since then he's been great. So maybe this helps Adrian Martinez? Yeah, sometimes you don't know what you have until you lose it. And I think the last couple of weeks, and I can tell you, even going into the Illinois game, Adrian Martinez had kept a really high spirit behind the scenes. In fact, I know he told some guys, look, he goes, I'm fine. I know they're going to need me back at some point, and I'm ready. And he was right. I I think he knew what Luke could do and what Luke can't do. And and we saw that now over the last few weeks. There's a lot of impressive things Luke McCaffrey can do. But to run this offense to get everything featured properly – he was lacking, and Adrian has the experience. Um, and you think about going in that Illinois game, Adrian Martinez led Nebraska to 600-plus yards twice against Illinois, and it just makes you wonder if he would have got that start, would they have had much, uh, a lot more success um, against Lovey Smith's defense, which Adrian's had some of his best games of his career against the previous two seasons. Also, this all starts with the snap. Jay, how does that get fixed? I know Cameron Jurgens had to go out of the game because of a foot, but that's got to get fixed. It has to. You cannot, especially when you're in shotgun, you're, you're, we talked about eyes and playing with vision and trusting your eyes. That starts, and, and that's always tough. You, you hear about you know, quarterbacks not like being in a shotgun because you have to look, this, look the ball into your hands. Your eyes get taken off the defense, and they like to be under center. Um, you always hear about Bill Walsh's, you know, a lot of yes. like Montana, I think Steve Young always talked about not being in shotgun because they, they had to take their eyes off it. And that is having to worry about a bad snap as a quarterback and, and knowing you have to see the coverages and see protections and just see what's going on and how they're rolling into coverage and how they're trying to hide things. When you have to worry about a snap, man, that's, that's, one, that's one thing you just cannot have to worry about. And whether it's going to be Farniak, whether Jurgen's able to get healthy, they have to get that thing cleaned up because that's been an issue now for two straight years. Um, and that's, that's, you, can't, you can't have that. You have to be efficient and get that ball back there as, as smoothly as possible so they can. I mean, you get a bad snap, that's a bad play from the get-go before anything else happens. You already had an offense that's struggling execute, and you have to execute the snap first and foremost. So before we get to burning questions, what do you think happens at inside linebacker against Iowa? I think Nick Hainers moves inside more than likely. Um, you know, a lot depends on Reimer and kind of how he feels game day, um, where he's at. But I think Honus, Henrich, Reimer, maybe Snodgrass, uh, that's probably what you see. And, Michael, this is probably a game where you don't see a lot of that, uh, whatever you want to call it, the 2-4-5 or Nickel. whatever scheme, you know, with the, the extra outside linebackers in the game. 
Iowa, what they do on offense, you're probably not going to see a ton of that. So um, you're going to need to be more traditional um, with your defensive line this week. And Casey Rogers and Damian Daniels, uh, they're going to need more reps from some of those other defensive linemen that haven't played a lot. All right, let's go to burning questions. We're starting with you, Sean. I think for me, the burning question is what Adrian Martinez shows up, assuming he gets the start. Will he have a chip on his shoulder? Um, like Scott Frost mentioned, what he's seen this week. Um, how will Adrian, if he gets the opportunity, take advantage of, quote, his second chance? What about you, Jay? Defensively, it's looking you're gonna have, not going to have Colin Miller probably for the rest of the season. So in a, in a defense that got exposed and in, in, you know just played the worst game so far of the season, they come with a chip on their shoulder and knowing what they're getting and knowing they're getting a good run, uh, a good run game, a good efficient offense, and where you know what they're, they're going to do. Can they can they step up to the challenge and bow up and put this game in the past and and prepare the right way and get better and give this team a chance to win a football game that frankly I don't I don't think they have much uh, chance winning right now just because of uh, last week's result. If you really want to see where the downfall kind of started, go back to 2016 at Iowa and how they handled Nebraska in that game physically. After that, Mark Banker made the comment about the bloodbath in practice. They end up changing defensive coordinators, and it's been kind of downhill from there. They've got to be able to hold the line of scrimmage. At the point of attack, Nebraska's going to be about to deal with that zone running scheme, and if they can't, they'll really get pushed around. And so they're not going to pass the ball well. Iowa's not. We've seen that this season. They've got to be able to stop at the point of attack, though. That's my burning question. Don't forget to head to our website now and our Facebook page and click on the prediction. Jay and I will tell you exactly what to expect for Saturday. Nebraska hits the road searching for answers and heads to Iowa City to take on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Black Friday kickoff is scheduled for noon on Big Fox. We're back next week to recap that game with our special guest, Aaron Sorensen from Hale Varsity Magazine. Nebraska's home to many great game day experiences. Our new NET program, Nebraska Spirit, I've got spirit, how about you? Go Big Red explores how the cheerleaders, dancers, mascots, and the marching bands help fans get their feet and cheer for the Huskers. Featuring archival material and exclusive interviews, Nebraska Spirit Go Big Red premieres this Sunday night at 7 p.m. right on NET. Our thanks to Stephen M. Sipple for joining us tonight. For Jay Moore and Sean Callahan, I'm Michael Severe. We'll see you next week on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up.